0: I have anxiously awaited this moment to see half your faces. Some of you smile really good with your eyes. Some of you frown really good with your eyes, too. When we were together, I remember we had about half of us gathered together. I think it was March the 15th. We thought this would be over and we would be celebrating Easter together. Boy, did we underestimate that. I'm grateful, however. My prayer for you during this time has been that in moments when I, as your pastor, didn't know what was going on in your life, that God knew what was going on. In moments when all we could do was talk together on the phone and I wasn't able to visit any of you in the hospitals and things were taking place there, I'm thankful that the great shepherd took care of his flock and was at work among us. We um, have phenomenal people that go to this church, as you know, but we have been able to communicate with one another and stay in unity because of our deacons and our elders and the calls that they made. The people that I talked to said, man, I've been regularly checked up on. I'm so grateful for that. Our worship team uh, has done a marvelous job during this time. We had a production team that kind of popped up in the middle of all of this. And and, uh, How many of you started out by watching like three or four different services that dwindled down to maybe one at the end. Some of you are not gonna raise your hand no matter what I do. Yeah, we were were good. Our production team did an outstanding job of being able to produce, and I'd I'd like them to stand. If you were a part of our production team, would would you stand? I know Mark's here, there are several of them around here. Would you give them a round of applause? Outstanding. Our pastoral staff worked extremely hard and in all of the things people were asking me, well, what was it like to have a three-month vacation? I don't know, because we didn't have a three-month vacation. We were working our tails off during all of that time. It just looked a little bit different. I'm grateful for them. I'm thankful for our interpreters who worked so hard in all of our services. And give them a round of applause. There were a number of them thankful for Bill Sinical and Anna Guzman who worked very hard to make sure that our church stayed for those men men you may not have been to the bathroom yet and we encourage you not to go right now because we're about to have church but uh, it looks completely different there's been some landscaping things we've been working on so we have been utilizing these times to try to upgrade things but there's so many people that we just thank during this time and we're grateful today to have you here with us in all of this and I know that God has been equipping you uh This service is supposed to last an hour, which means that I've got about 25 minutes to share the word and get you out of here. Because there's not a service after you, I may take 28 minutes. I may just take a little more time here. But I know that the children's people have scheduled an hour, and they asked me if I was going to be on time, and I'll try not to lie. I'd like to share with you today a topic of what's behind the faucet. What's behind the faucet? My wife was asking me this week about, she goes... What does that mean? And I said, you're going to have to come to church and find out. She goes, you're not going to tell any embarrassing stories about what's underneath our faucets, are you? And I said, me? Would I do that? She didn't have a response for that, but I promised her I would be kind. I want you to picture what it must have been like on the night of February the 15th, 519 years before Jesus was born. In the middle of a ruined city of Jerusalem, The people of God have returned from exile in Babylon, and they have started a rebuilding process, but the work on the temple in the heart of the city had been stalled completely. In fact, it had remained unfinished for 17 years since the foundation stones were laid. And Zechariah the prophet had been sent to minister to the returned exiles as they resumed the construction project. But poor Zechariah having a rough night. Have any of you ever had a rough night where you just couldn't sleep because God kept interrupting you? Any of you? A few? For those of you that are history buffs of Scripture, Zechariah's rough night was taking place because in this particular night, he had a series of eight dramatic visions that were given one right after another throughout the night. And these visions were designed to encourage them to preserve, to be preserved in the work, to make sure they kept going. And so far during the evening, four of these visions have passed. And as we turn now to Zechariah chapter four, and if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn there with me. And you're going to want to stay there with me as we go through this. In Zechariah chapter four, we find this poor prophet who is in something of a stupor after constantly being awakened. And it's hard to blame him, really, because of everything that's happening throughout this evening. But in Zechariah chapter 4, I begin reading with verse 1 through 7, and then I'm going to read verse 12. It says, Then the angel of the Lord who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from his sleep. And he asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see solid golden lampstands with a bowl on the top and seven lights on it, with seven channels to the lights, And also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other is on the left. I asked the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? He answered, Do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it, or grace, grace to it. Then in verse 12, again I asked him, What are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out the golden oil? Heavenly Father, we are grateful today to be able to be back into the house of the Lord, to gather together. I've I've sensed it just in the enthusiasm of our massed worshipers as we sang praises to you and we exalted your holy name. And now I pray that over these next few moments that you would take the Word of God, which is bread of life to us, and break it in our midst so that what we partake of we can grow on and learn from. I believe that it is a word for this day. And so we ask that you would anoint it. In Jesus' name, amen. The angel, perhaps to keep a dozy Zechariah alert, begins to engage him in what develops into rather a blunt and almost a comic dialogue. He asked him in verse 2, Zechariah, what do you see? And Zechariah describes his vision and he mentioned things that he sees as a golden lampstand and wide bowls that are fixed to the top and seven little lamps that come off of this and each of them have been lit and are glowing around the rim of a larger bowl. And he begins to look at all of these things and they're all burning brightly. And then in verse 12 he explains to him, what do you see here? And he describes two golden pipes that I would like you, for our understanding today, to consider them to be faucets, because that's basically what they were. There are these two pipes that are connected to the trees that are giving a constant supply of oil to the lampstands. And one of the things as I look at the scripture that honestly I find it very comforting is that The author of the scripture himself is having a hard time understanding what he is seeing. The Spirit of the Lord says to him, what is it that you see? And he begins to describe it. But he doesn't really know what it means because he keeps asking the question, what is this, my Lord? Or what does this mean? Or I don't understand what I'm seeing here. In fact, he repeats that several different times, and I find it interesting in the fact that this way, if the author doesn't understand everything about the Scripture, then we shouldn't be afraid when we get to hard parts of Scripture, and we don't understand everything there is to see about that. He persists in this question, what is this, my Lord? And so we are encouraged understanding that Zechariah, even though he was begiven. given Being given a vision from heaven, something that was taking place that would be meaningful to him, did not understand at all. But in his misunderstanding, he at least persisted in trying to find out what it was that was being shown to him. Here's the encouragement that I want to give to you today. When you are reading the scripture, and by the way, how many of you are still involved in our Bible reading day by day? I know that there are many of you because of the comments that we've had. How many of you have just loved the Chronicles? That's what I thought. There are some things that you're getting to and you just do them so you can check the box that you read them. There are aspects of Scripture, and many of you have been commenting on things that I don't fully understand this. Let me tell you something. When you get into the Scriptures of something that you don't understand, don't close the door on that, but rather let it be an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you into the truth of that Word and dig deep into it. If there are questions, the Lord will begin to reveal that to you. And perhaps there's something that He wants you to see as you study it. There should be no areas that we don't go as it relates to the Word of God that, boy, that's just too hard to understand. But we should cultivate an attitude that when we are faced with difficult passages, that instead we use that as an invitation to wrestle in the Scripture and wrestle it out so that God can bring the understanding to us. And there are many things about this particular vision that I recognize. That only having a few minutes this morning, I was not going to be able to get into the entirety of it all. But there are two things that I want to recognize this morning. Number one, the purpose of the pipes, and number two, the supply of oil. There was a man by the name of Thomas Edward Lawrence. He was born August the sixteenth, eighteen eighty-eight, in Wales. You would probably know him as Lawrence of Arabia. He became famous for his exploits with the, uh, the British military as a liaison between the Arabs during the, their revolt in the First World War. He began to develop some great friendships with the sheiks that were in charge of different areas there in the Arab world. And at the end of the war, he invited them to come back. And you can read a lot of his exploits and about his adventures in a book called The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. But after developing relationships with so many of these sheiks, he brought them back at the end of the war to England with him to show his appreciation for everything that they had done. And while they were on that visit, they had an opportunity to visit the Joint House of Commons and the Parliament, and they had an audience with the Queen. And on the last night of their visit, Lawrence offered them anything that they wanted to take back with them to where they lived as a gift from him interesting enough all of the sheiks agreed on one thing they led him back to the hotel where they were staying they walked him into the bathroom and they pointed at the water fixture and they said we want to take the faucet back with us because we need the water where we live they began to think that this was a magic faucet and it All you had to do was turn the faucet on and water would magically appear out of it. They thought that there was something special about the faucet, but they had no idea of everything that it was tied into, that behind it there was reservoirs of water and piping and everything that brought the water to them. They didn't realize it. They just said, this is what we want. Give us the faucet so that we can have the water. As I read about that, I begin to think, how interesting is that? They thought that the faucet was where the water came from. They had no idea that there were things behind it that made it work. The first thing that I want you to understand this morning about this passage of Scripture is that in verse 12 it talks about golden pipes that are coming from the trees, that are carrying with it, they became faucets to the flow that could then be directed so that light could come. Do you know that God needs faucets? Because they direct the flow where it needs to go. God has always worked through human vessels. In fact, most of the time, God works through vessels that we would think would be unlikely. Some of you are going, man, that is a really nice-looking faucet. If you look at our house, they may have stains on them, or maybe they're rusted or they're old. But I want you to know something. God uses all kinds of faucets, and there's not a single one of you here today that God cannot use. He said, Well, how do you know? Let me explain this to you. God has used many different unlikely vessels. You see, Moses stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Timothy had ulcers. Amos' only training was the school of fig tree pruning. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death, Lazarus was dead, John was self-righteous, Paul was a murderer, so was Moses, Jonah ran from God because he didn't like the Ninevites, Gideon had a self-esteem problem, Thomas doubted, and Jeremiah was a bullfrog. just, Just kidding. It just seemed to fit so well right there. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out. Samson had long hair. Noah got drunk. Moses had a short fuse. But God didn't require a job interview. He required that they would be vessels that would tie into him. So that when the handles were turned on their life, whatever flowed out of them was directly coming from him. I believe today that we need to come to a recognition that we, who are the church, stand as faucets to our world and that when there are people that come near us and maybe they need something from you and they touch your life, that what comes out of you is directly reflected by who you're tied into. We need to be the faucets of the direction of the Holy Spirit. God needs us to be lampstands and faucets. In fact, in John chapter 7, verses 38 through 39, it says, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, streams, not drips, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit in whom we believe and in whom we have received. Our world today needs a church that will stand up and say, Turn my faucet on because what's going to come out of me is being sent from the Holy Spirit of God to touch your life. We need to be faucets. You see, God can have all the plumbing in place. He can have the pump hooked up, ready to pour out blessings for His people upon the world. But He needs us to be the vessels. He needs us to be the faucets to direct the flow of what God wants to accomplish within our world. When Elisha was performing the miracle for the prophet's widow, the oil flowed freely, the Bible says. And in 2 Kings 4, 6... When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is no jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. The only thing that stops the flow of the Spirit is a lack of a vessel. It's the lack of a vessel. So before you disqualify yourself and say, I am imperfect and I am incapable and I can't be used or you don't know what's going on in my life, I want you to know that God will use you and can use you. He needs you to be a faucet tied into the power of His Holy Spirit. It doesn't make sense to me why this God who can do all things would choose to restrict Himself to moving through imperfect, flawed, and inconsistent humanity, but I do know that the Creator has chosen His creation to be a faucet of His grace and of His love and of His mercy. And on the day of Pentecost, God poured out His Spirit upon all flesh. He was filling vessels. I want you to know today what our nation needs and what our world needs is for the church to be vessels by which we can pour out His healing upon our land. He wants to use His church one more time for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But God needs faucets through which to work. Ezekiel said that God was seeking for a man, and when he used that term, it was a generic term. In other words, I'm looking for a man or a woman that will stand in the gap and make up a hedge. When the Lord struck Saul from his horse on the road to Damascus, he told Saul, get up and go see Ananias, who will tell you what to do. In other words, I'm going to use human vessels to give some direction to you. And I want you to understand today how important you are to the work of God, because God will not move without a vessel. He will not move without a vessel. God will not pour out His Spirit without a faucet for it to flow through. And you, my friend, are that faucet that God wants to use. The second thing that I want to point out to you this morning is this. I want you to recognize the supply of the Spirit of God. You see, when Zechariah was looking at this vision... And the angel said, describe to me what you see. In this vision he describes, there's two trees. These were olive trees. And the pipes were tapped into them. In other words, the faucet had its its flow coming from these living trees. It was an inexhaustible supply that was allowing the flames to never go out. In the context of that vision... There was a recognition that these two trees represented the priesthood and the kingship of Joshua and Zerubbabel. Joshua as the priest, serving at the altar, making atonement for sin, interceding for the people. Zerubbabel was David's heir, the kingly figure that was governing amidst all of their trials and defending them from their enemies during this time. And these two men were God's anointed means for the welfare of the people of God that he had not deserted them, that he had provided resources through them. And Zechariah had the vision and was supposed to tell them, this is what this means to you. Today, on this side of the Old Testament, in the New Testament time, we see the typology of this and understand that there was even a deeper meaning than that for us. Because these two trees that supplied an inexhaustible supply... To us, don't just necessarily represent a priest and a king, they represent Jesus to us. You see, they serve as pointers because we recognize in Hebrews 10 21 that Jesus is the great priest over the house of God. We recognize in Revelation 1 5 that He is also the king, the ruler of the kings of the earth who loves us and freed us by His blood. In other words, we see prophetically as we look at this vision it's the Holy Spirit that is our provider. We tap into the Holy Spirit and He brings the flow of the life of Jesus into us so that we can then be a faucet to the rest of the world of His grace and of His love and of His mercy and of His healing. There are people that need you to pray for healing for them in their lives. They need to know that there are those that can come to them and stand alongside of them and say, I'm coming in the name of Jesus and the power of that name will set you free. It's Jesus that this all pointed to. And just as those lampstands and just as this faucet depends upon an unseen supply, I believe that God is calling His church today to not be satisfied with being good-looking faucets. But we need to tap into the power and the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. There must be something about us That taps into a flow that gives us a reason to speak and a reason to give hope to the world around us. We look in verses six and seven, it said, The word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. He said, It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord Almighty. And then he says, What are you, a mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the true capstone to the shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. I believe with all of my heart that there is victory ahead. We have been through a difficult time. We are still in the middle of it. But I believe that this is a moment for the church. We've sat back and looked at all the things we may have lost. Let me tell you something. I believe new doors are opening and that this last day's revival will be the greatest revival that we have seen because the church will finally recognize it's not by our power, it's not by our might, it's tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit and letting Him flow through the faucets of our life into the world around us. So God was building for Himself a temple. And today we are the temple Of the Holy Spirit built with the hands of God to be at work so that we can touch our world so what then does that mean to us today what should we draw from this passage we should be begging for the power of the Holy Spirit Church we should be begging for the power of the Holy Spirit I serve an overcoming God who promised that He would be at work within each of us, that we likewise would become overcomers. And tonight we're going to gather together at 6 o'clock and we're going to have prayer. And I've asked those that lead that prayer to lead us into a season as a church where we begin to seek the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. I believe what's happening in our world is there's a separation taking place between those who have just been going through the motions of what church should be and going through the motions of what a life with Christ is like and going through the motions of being a Christ follower and those who are determined that I'm going to tap in and I'm not going to waste the visitation of the Holy Spirit any longer. But I am going to beg God to be an empowered child of God so that I can be a faucet that when people come near me, and they come up and say, do you have anything to give me that they can turn the, this on? And suddenly the power of God flows through the vessels of our life. It's easy to sit here and say, Lord, I want to be used. It's another thing to press in until the Spirit empowers you. So I'm going to ask you tonight, would you join us? Would you come? Between 6 and 7, we're going to begin... To beg, beg that we could be the pipes that flow, the vessels where the oil of the Holy Spirit comes so that we can be faucets of God's grace to our world. I'm going to ask him if she would please come, and I'm going to ask if you would stand with me, please. I have struggled through this time. I'll be honest with you. I struggled with it because I miss you so badly. I have missed knowing what's going on in your lives, praying for you, having some conversations with some of you from time to time. But the one thing that's come out of this for me is that there has been, there's been a renewed passion for His word and prayer. And from that has begun to grow a vision in my heart that the Lord says, this is not the destruction of the church because the best is yet to come for the church. You see these big mountains that we have in front of us, it's not to discourage us, it's to show us that when God removes mountains, He does it completely. Some of you may be facing mountains in your life, and I want you to know that I believe that what is ever in front of you, that you, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, will see them removed and it will be made level before you as a testimony of what God wants to accomplish. The church, we can sit back and say, oh, that changed everything, and we're so discouraged, and it's different, and I don't like singing through a mask, and I don't either. But the church will not be stopped because the church is about to be empowered. It's about to be empowered. So don't let things get in your way. Don't let it kill your faith. Don't let it hinder your labor because the way things are is not the way things will forever be. He is going to supply us with everything we need to rise up in the power of God. So, Lord, I pray for your people this morning. I ask your blessing to be upon them. I ask for them, Lord, that they would not just be empty faucets that look on the outside as if we belong to you but are empty when people come to us, but that we would beg for the power of the Holy Spirit to be evident so that when people come up to us, we have something to offer because we've been tapped in to the endless and inexhaustible supply of the Holy Spirit. So, oh God, flow in us and through us. Direct us wherever you need us to go so that when people come near us, we can be the flow of the Spirit to their life. And we seal this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen.